0: Recently, uh, Pew Research came out with a study about former Muslims, about people that, were, that grew up Muslims, grew up in Muslim households, and then left Islam. And the upshot of the, of the study is about a quarter, about a quarter of Muslims in America that have grown up in Muslim households, as they come into adulthood, they leave... Islam altogether, for for various reasons. But it's about a quarter. And you you might think that that's shocking. But to be honest, when I read the report, I was like, that's it? Because if you have gone to some of the masajid that are in North America, you would be surprised that only a quarter of people that grow up Muslim have left the faith. If you went to some of these mosques, and you heard what is being said, and you saw what was being done. And if you were a child, a young person, a young adult, and you grew up in that environment, in this country, in this you know, century, most likely you would have left Islam as well. And I pass zero judgment on those people that have left Islam, because really I look to somebody like myself and I blame myself. And I look to our institutions, forget the mosques, if you have gone to some of the gatherings that our major institutions hold, and and I'm not going to name anything or anybody, but if you have gone to some of these things and if you have heard the discourse, if you have heard the narrative, if you have heard the Islam that's coming out from some of these people, you probably would have grown up and left Islam too. And what I say from a theological point of view is that these people haven't left Islam. They didn't know Islam in the first place because what what they're leaving is is that other stuff that they saw, that they experienced. And because of this, there's a a large growing movement that I know many of you know about called Unmosked. You know, there's even a documentary that you you can watch to this effect about families, individuals, who have been essentially emotionally forced out of the mosque. They no longer feel welcome in the mosque. Whether they be family with special needs, which for us, as you know, is a concern, and we have done our best to accommodate that in this center. You know, families that have children with special needs don't feel comfortable at many of the Masajid. Why? Because they don't want the noise, and they don't want the headache, and you know, just just stay at home. Or individuals, or new Muslims, that come into the mosque, and the Islam is not the Islam that that they read about that caused them to convert in the first place. They find an ethnic Islam, they find a South Asian Islam, or they find an Arab Islam, or, or something, or a Turkish Islam. And the language of the mosque might be other than English. And the English might be on life support, if there is any English. So they come in, they're like, well, I read about all these wonderful things and Islam and Muslims and all the, the beauty of the faith. And then I don't find that at the mosque. You know, I found them talking about troubles that, you know, exist somewhere else in the world that I've never been to and most likely never will be to. So this unmosked movement is because people do not feel comfortable... In this institution, not this one, but any institution that claims to be a mosque. You know the funny thing is, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he says, Indeed, these mosques, these places of worship, because that's what the word masjid means in Arabic, the place of sujood, these mosques are for Allah and Allah alone. So do not call other people other things in the mosque. Meaning that this is not a place where we discuss partisan politics. This is not a place where we discuss our ethnic backgrounds. This is not a place where we discuss things that divide us. But this is a place that has been dedicated. Any mosque is a place that is dedicated so each of us can worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in peace and tranquility. So that we can discover this wonderful journey to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala individually. And as a community, we are here to help one another facilitate this journey for each other together. And the funny thing is when I read this report and I you know, was thinking about this unmasked movement, which, which is not just in this country but other countries, even in Muslim-majority countries. And I was thinking about what this means vis-a-vis this verse. And I said the funny thing is, is that in the name of religion, we are pushing people away from religion. But isn't the mosque in the name of religion? So in the name of Islam, we're pushing people away from Islam. In the name of God, we're pushing people away from God. And it reminded me, and we have this, you know, these moments in our own history, in the, in the way history in the past, that there were people that used to make up hadith, forge hadith. And the ulama would say, why are you lying about the Prophet? No, no, no we're not lying about the Prophet, we're lying for the Prophet We're making up these hadiths, so we, get, we, we instill the fear of God in people. Yes, but the Prophet ﷺ said, مَنْ كَذَبَ مُتَعَمِّدًا Whoever lies upon, uh, on me, about me on purpose, let them await their chair in the hellfire. The Prophet ﷺ didn't sanction that we lie for his sake. He doesn't need us to lie for him. Allah does not need us to make things up. Alhamdulillah, one of the gifts that we have is our religion is clear. If you want it, it's there. It's clear. You can access it. And it reminded me that we kind of live in this time... Now, so let's go back to the beginning. You know, what is, what is this mosque supposed to be about, or a mosque supposed to be about? One of the things that the Prophet وسلم, he says, that's unique about the Islamic faith, because we share a lot of things with other faith traditions, but there are some things that are unique. One of the things is that the Prophet وسلم, said, وَجُعْلَتْ لِي الْأَرْضُ مَسْجِدًا وطهورا. The earth has been made for me pure and a place of worship. So when the Prophet ﷺ came, we, you know, we didn't have to have like a special temple in a special place you know, like other traditions have where there's a fire that has to be kept like in the Zoroastrian tradition or like the Holy of Holies for the Jewish tradition or any other you know, tradition for that matter, east or west. The Prophet ﷺ said one of the unique features of Islam It's like religion 2.0. One of the unique features of this faith is that you can pray anywhere. All you need is to have wudu. The time has come in, you know the direction, and you pray Allahu Akbar. That's it. And if you've shared my experience, I'm sure many of you have prayed in the most awkward places known to man, living in this country. We've played everywhere and anywhere. Because the time comes in, we pray. Now, did the Prophet when he came to Medina, did he said, okay, you know, we're going to do this new religion, we don't need the institution, you know, we don't need the brick and mortars, this is the new, I'm the new guy, this is the new faith. So everyone just pray where they want. Despite this hadith and its fiqh implications, the fact that you can pray where you need to pray, I mean, it might look awkward, but you can pray, the prayer from the sharia point of view is valid, other than the fiqh implication. This is not how Islam grew up. The first thing that the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam did when he entered in Medina The first thing Before he even f- knew where he was going to stay Is he decided To find the physical location Of where the mosque of Medina Will be built You know he didn't come in and say Okay uh, everyone has to Give allegiance to me He didn't come in and say Okay I got to rest for my, my journey I got to get over my jet lag Let me check into the hotel He didn't do any of that Before he even rested Sallallahu alayhi wa before he had a, a morsel of food to eat or a bed to lie down on he said we got to the first thing is first where is the mosque going to be built i mean this is not an accident it could have been number 2 it could have been number 3 no one would have said anything if it took him a week sallallahu alaihi wasallam to come to this decision but the first thing that he did when he came into medina is he said where is the mosque going to be built and from that time until our time this has been the major Physical institution that we have. If you go to the Muslim majority cities, you know, everywhere from uh, North Africa to South Asia, you know, even China, you see all of these beautiful mosques and they all have a story and they all have a history and they all have beautiful architecture and, and, you know, maybe there are saints that are buried there and all of these type of wonderful things. But this is the institution, physical institution that Islam gave us. Because this was the center of our religious life, because of this verse, وَأَنَّ الْمَسَاجَدِ لِلَّهِ That these mosques are for Allah, to access Allah, to worship Allah. And you can access Allah anywhere, of course, but the idea is this is going to facilitate. This space will facilitate you in your worship, in your practice, in your journey to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So throughout our history, this is what we had. Now the Prophet's mosque, sallam, was also essentially, you know, like his home. I mean, he didn't live in the mosque, but his mosque was attached, like the way the room here is attached to the prayer hall. His mosque was, was just a curtain away from his resting place, sallallahu wasallam, where he's buried now, wasallam. So everything happened in the mosque, not just the prayer, not just the teaching, but all aspects of politics at that time, of statecraft, happened at the mosque. And two stories should remind us of what it means to have a real mosque that has real access, equal access to anyone who wants to come to the mosque. The first story, you know these stories. The first story is the man that comes into the mosque and he starts urinating. A Bedouin comes into the mosque and he just starts peeing. Now the sahaba, they're livid. I mean imagine if somebody came in right now and started peeing in the mosque. What would we do? We'd go crazy. And you know, no one would sort of blame us. I mean, that's very rude, unethical, immoral, you know, in the mosque or any place that doesn't belong to you, You don't go in and just start peeing. And the sahaba, they were gonna go crazy. And what did the Prophet say? He said, let him finish. And then when he's done, pour some water over it. And then, you know, tell him, don't pee in the mosque. I mean, can you imagine that? Say, I want you to think about that, you know, seriously. That reaction. Then a man comes in and starts taking a leak in the mosque. I'm sorry. Everyone's crazy. And everyone here being the Sahaba, not people like us, people that we look up to. And then the Prophet saw and said, just let him finish. You can't cut someone off when they're doing that. It's going to be even more messy. Just let him finish. Pour some water over it so it's clean. Khalas, we, we took care of the, the urine. Just educate him. You can even almost imagine him وسلم, saying just... yeah," Because if somebody has the mindset to do something like that in the first place, I mean, you got to start out where that person is. The Prophet didn't ban him. The Prophet didn't call the cops. He didn't put a lock on the mosque. He didn't put his face outside saying this is banned. He didn't go around spreading emails and rumors and libeling this guy's name. But rather the Prophet saw this person as one of his people. Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. One of his people, one of his companions, the people that we look up to now. He didn't excommunicate him. He didn't attack him physically, but he let him finish the deed. See, the mosque is, is open. That means that the mosque is, is accessible, that means that the mosque is a place where anyone feels comfortable, even somebody that wants to come and pee in the mosque. I mean not in the bathroom, but in the mosque mosque, in the masjid part. The second story is the story of towards the end of the life of the Prophet he, you know he, he has taken Mecca, so Mecca is his, there's no more threat. Uh, the internal dispute of the tribes of Medina has been settled. So everything is sort of secure, so the Prophet ﷺ starts looking outside of even the Arabian Peninsula, and he starts corresponding with heads of state in Egypt, the Roman Empire, the Byzantium, the Eastern Roman Empire, Persia, uh, Oman, Bahrain, and Yemen. And many of these people, they write letters, some of them are not nice, some of them are sort of nice, and some of them actually came to the Prophet ﷺ. So there's this Christian community in Yemen. And they send a delegation of statesmen and religious leaders. Now there's no uh, you know, accommodation in Medina in the uh, 8th century that can you know, take care of something like this. There's no hotel or hostel. So the biggest structure is the mosque. So the Prophet Sallallahu invites them to stay in the mosque. And the Christians of Yemen, they spend the night, several days, several nights in the masjid of the Prophet, وسلم, the masjid that we pray in now in Medina. And when it came time for those Christians to pray, they stood up with their cross and with their Bible, and they prayed their Christian prayer in the mosque of Sayyidina Muhammad Wasallam, With the permission of the Prophet It wasn't like he was absent, so the Sahaba made a mistake, or he fell asleep or he forgot, or he was mad, it was his permission that allowed the Christians of Yemen to come and stay in his mosque to worship. And these people, by the way, they did not convert to Islam. So the Prophet said, cool, I mean that's my language, but you know what we would say is cool, you go back and you're safe. Your priests are safe, your bishops are safe, your cross is safe, your Bible is safe, peace. That was the point of the exchange is to establish relations, not to coerce people to convert, because coercion does not create faith, it creates hypocrisy. That's why Allah says La ikraha fiddin. Imagine that kind of access. Imagine if you walked into a mosque in this area and you saw a Christian group or a Jewish group or a Buddhist group or something praying in the mosque. Imagine if they came and asked, can we use the mosque?" I mean, we've prayed in all sorts of houses of worship, particularly this community, while the construction and the zoning and all of that finished. Imagine if it was reversed. See, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he says, Wa الْمَسَاجَدَ لِلَّهِ that these mosques don't belong to us. We're just custodians of this mosque. But this mosque is to facilitate worship of God. And God doesn't belong to us, we are Allah's creation. He is the Rabb of everyone, of everything, whether they acknowledge or they don't acknowledge, whether they believe in our way or they don't believe in our way and they believe in another way. Allah Subhanahu wa Taala tells us in the Qur'an not to harm places of worship and churches and temples in which the name of Allah is mentioned. These details sometimes we just gloss over, but Allah is telling us those churches and those temples, my name is worshipped in those places. Do not harm them, do not destroy them, do not violate them, treat them with respect. Why? Because Allah's name is being mentioned. Now there might be theological differences, uh, sharia differences, but if you go above all of that, who, what is being, who is being worshipped? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is being worshipped. At the end of it, it's just another way to access the Divine, the Creator. So I come back to where I started, I think about this, this, this quarter, this 23-25% of people that have left Islam. And that's just in this country, you know, Allah alam what it's like elsewhere. And I don't blame them at all. But imagine if these people, they had a space that they could come to that was open, that was accessible where they could learn, where they could thrive, where they weren't judged, where they weren't turned away for their questions. You know, one time, recently, I was invited to give a khutbah in this area. I won't mention the mosque. And I received an email, it's like a standard email, to all of the people that give the khutbah. You know, rule number one, do not speak about anything controversial. Well, what does that mean? You know, I have been doing this for 22 years. I was thinking the other day, when did I get myself into this. 22 years I have been doing this. And I have done it more than half of my life. I have dedicated to some form of study of religion and some form of study of Islam. Not that I'm an expert. But if I tell you something and you don't know it, then it automatically becomes a controversy. So if I tell you, you know, you can combine your prayers without traveling according to the Shafi Madhab. If you don't know that, then, khalas, we've created a controversy. So when they tell me, and I'm assuming they're inviting me because they think I have something to offer, or I have something to, to teach, or, and again, I, I could be wrong. I'm always wrong. I mean, my wife points that out to me all the time. I could be wrong many times, and my parents point that out to me. But I know something, a little bit about this stuff. So what is controversial? I mean, wh- why is that the first rule of the khatib is not to be controversial? I thought the rule of this is to remind us, to teach us, to sort of motivate us uh, at the end of the week, because this is the end of our week, into the weekend, into next week, to learn something. I thought that's the, the, ro- the role. I mean, that's what a thousand years of Islamic scholarship says. I've never read that the role of the khatib is not to be controversial. So if I'm not controversial, then we're going to go down and down and down to the lowest common denominator. Pretty soon you're going to find me up here with a guitar saying, be good, don't be bad, be happy, don't be sad. وَأَخْمِ salat. And that's all it's going to be. And then somebody's going to say, Oh, the guitar is haram, brother. And then I have to come in with a, a duff or something like that. I mean, what is that? Don't be controversial. Don't speak about politics. Okay, I agree with that. And all of these rules that, I mean, you know, whoever wrote these rules does not understand what the institution of Jummah is for. But imagine if somebody, if you grew up and this quarter of Allah uh, Alam, the quarter that left, if they had something like what we have, they're not judged and they're welcomed. They get their questions answered. They're treated with respect. I mean, it's not just special needs families, but one of the most disenfranchised segment of our community are women. How many mosques put the women in the most atrocious of prayer spaces? You know, tin huts that have like no HVAC, or outside, or there's no place at all. Or they're like in some kind of steel fortress that's like, you know, with lock and key. I mean, this is ridiculous. Is this what the mosque of the Prophet was like? The Prophet left the Jummah khutbah, which in fiqh is a rukn. Is a, this is an integral part of prayer. This is like praying the two missing rakahs of dhuhr. He broke this to, to descend from the mimbar and play with his grandchildren, al-Hasan and al-Hussein. The mosque is where the women would argue with the Sahaba, would argue with Sayyidina Umar when he was the Khalifa, would, would argue uh, and, and, and voice their opinions in front of the Prophet wasallam. And those women are the best women that humanity has ever seen. And who are we? There are examples. Who are we to say, no, women can't come, women can't pray, do not accommodate uh, for the wo- the, uh, a prayer space for the women, because this is not the ninth century. You know, everyone's coming to the mosque now and pray. I can understand how pre-modern mosques do not have places for women to pray, because it was not normal for women at that time to go to the mosque. Because the Jummah is farda for us, it's not fard for them. But the time has changed. We all need to come to the mosque. All the time. We need a little bit of this dose of some spirituality. Kids are not welcome. Women are not welcome. New Muslims are not welcome. People that have different inclinations are not welcome. People that have addictions are not welcomed. Well, guess what? This is what our society is made up of, all these type of people. And all of these people have a right to come to the mosque, have a right to worship Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. So if we find a mosque or an institution that allows this, Do you think it is worth supporting? Do you think it is worth sacrificing for? Do you think it is worth fighting for? That's the question I want us to think about today on this Jummah. That we are infinitely blessed with the center. And all of the people and families and the components that made it. And I think it is worth fighting for. Because I know... Because I have been around at least in this area For the last, I mean all my life really in this area And I'm telling you, if I was left to some of those other mosques Allah'u alam, I could have been one of those people in the corridor, Were it not for my parents that I had as an example But some people don't have that And if we don't have these safe spaces That are easily accessible Which essentially is another way of saying this is sunnah This is what the salaf did This is what the Prophet ﷺ left us with وَأَنَّ الْمَسَاجَدِ لِلَّهِ فَلَا تَدْعُوا مَعَ اللَّهِ أَحَدًا أحد. Leave them open for people to find Allah. أَقُولُ قولي هَذَا وَاسْتَغْفُرُوا اللَّهُ لي وَلَكُمْ فَاسْتَغْفُرُوا إِنَّهُ هُوَ الْغَفُورُ الرَّحِيمُ